welcome to Enlighten Up, the Hilarity podcast with Lizzie Allen and Karina Lauren. We take hard topics, throw them up in the air, and dissolve them with laughter. Each week, we feature a comedian from the Hilarity course, and we discuss topics from their set, from sexual shame to getting older. We tackle it all with humor and heart. Our goal is to awaken the masses, promote love, and increase connection by dissolving shame, all while making you laugh until you pee your pants. So let's enlighten up and get started. Welcome to season two, episode 15. But technically, since it's season two, it's epi two. On oh, really? season, oh yeah. Okay. That's how we that's how we can roll this now. Although I did like the higher numbers. But in any case, welcome back. I'm Karina. And I'm Lizzie, and this is Enlighten Up, a Hilarity podcast. And we are so excited to continue the ball rolling with the Hilarity Recovery Project students. Hooray! Hooray! Shining light, owning their power. Oh my goodness. And we're also in the middle of teaching a Hilarity Recovery Project course at the moment, of which Karina is currently a student. Yes, yes. I decided that I wanted to be a newborn baby coming into the class as though I've never written comedy before because I haven't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> never. I, I'm going in like new mm-hmm. with fresh eyes because I really wanted to deepen my level of stand-up comedy, the levels that I'm able to go to, things I want to talk about that I've actually written, but they, I just need help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I wrote a lot about my husband and I, because we were each other's like using partners are an, each other's enablers. And then we got sober and clean together. Mm-hmm. So it's the family afterwards kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's that journey. And I think there's a lot of comedy there. I just need help pulling it out. Can I just say how amazing it is? And also for you listeners out there to, to really kind of feel the gravity and weight of this miracle is Karina and her husband were both in active addiction for years. How many years were you together? Six years. Six years with children. And they both got clean more or less at the same time and continued their marriage together, which is such a massive buttload of work right? Mm -hmm. You know, that shows like tenacity showing up. So yeah, massive shout out to you and Shane for that because leaders for us, right? Yeah. It's, it is like rediscovering your partner new, clean and sober. I mean, like you have to learn how to do everything again together, clean and sober, including both having feelings, opinions, and thoughts, right? Mm. (laughs) Like That's a whole new level. So yeah, like family afterwards is on my mind today, just thinking about recovery and comedy. And, uh, I wanted to to chat a little bit with you because like your whole family, you're just one of many in a family in recovery, which I think is just so cool. Like I don't have that, right. I I'm the only one in my family, uh, of origin that is in recovery, but you've got a different experience. So what's that What's that like for you? Like going back into that? It's, it's a, it's a beautiful, a magical experience to have my mom and my sister join me in recovery as well, because 
it actually happened while I was over here. So I got eight years of recovery before my mum and my sister joined the program. My mum came in through Al-Anon, um, which I shouldn't really be saying any of that stuff, should I? But anyway, my mum came into the program of recovery through being concerned about another member of my family who was overusing mm. drugs and alcohol. So then she realized she was like, oh, I need this too. So she jumped in as well. But the really wild part of it is, is I did my first two years of recovery in Bath in my hometown. So all of this beautiful recovery network that I was in then my mum and my sister are all friends with those brilliant and beautiful people. So now when I go back to England and I stay with them, it's all recovery talk and, you know, and going to meetings together. And sometimes, well, really, sometimes I have to go, I, I actually have to go to a meeting without my mum and my sister. Right. And the reason is, even in recovery, we have so much family uh, entanglement and codependence and, and all of that stuff. And me and my mum and my sister in particular went through everything together. And the three, you know, my, my young mum and me and Becca growing up, um, you know, in a very chaotic environment, emotionally chaotic, I would say more than anything else. It was for the most part, fairly grounded, you know, with school and home and everything like that. And we, we, you know, we were helped out by the council and welfare and things like that, which was, you know, hugely helpful, but we did have a good solid extended family that jumped in as well, you know, grandparents and, and my father got into recovery in the early days, but he was still fairly wild with it, you know, in and out relapsing, things like that, which I didn't know until years later. But, you know, when I look back on, on my childhood with him, there was, emotional chaos with him as well, you know, and, and he was transient a, a lot when I was young. So we would always be staying at sort of random kind of weird places with him that I, I suspect at, not at all times was he in a solid program of recovery during those years, but we were, um, happy, safe, loved all of those things. And, uh, but the emotional chaos of it all, that's, been the biggest work for me in my recovery is to to unravel the messages that I got growing up about who I am and um, in the mix of of them. And so when I go back in with my mum and my sister into you know spending lots of time with them, I find that um, I lose myself somewhat in in their old images of who I am are projected onto me, but. Here's the thing I don't actually do. In the last couple of years, I've made such massive progress and I don't know what it is. I think just as sooner or later, we just grow up, don't we? And we just kind of go, okay, now I'm looking at it. Now I'm dealing with it because we can only really deal with what we've got at the time. So yeah, no, it's like, it's big work, but it's, you know, on the one hand, it's wonderful. But on the other hand, you know, my sister is still incredibly bossy and controlling and thinks she knows everything because she's my older sister. But on the other hand, she's good at catching it and, and sort of owning it and, and pulling back. And um, But then 10 minutes later, boom, she's telling me what to do again, which, you know, it's, it's all comedy gold at the end of the day. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Well, they say, I don't know who they are, but they say that when we go back to our family of origin, we can revert to the roles 
that we played when we were kids. And I know certainly I've had that like for years in recovery because recovery seems to be where we grow in awareness, right? Like when we're in active addiction, we're, of course, we're still enacting the roles, but we probably don't realize we're acting roles. We just go and, you know, we do our thing. Um, but I became very aware in recovery that I, when I would go back to my family of origin, um, people were playing roles, including me. And my role was, oh, Karina, you just, you just sit there on the couch. You don't have to help just entertain us. Right. Cause that's what I would do. I didn't want to help. I was not helpful. My help was I'll just, I'll just make you guys laugh. And at some point I had to question that, like, that's not who I am anymore. I am helpful. Yeah. Come on. I'm abundantly helpful. So I got out of that role by just helping. And sometimes when you get out of roles, people don't like it. They're used to you being in a specific role. Like, wait, what do you do? I mean, no one's going to protest me helping out with the dishes, right? <laughs> but, but that's like a light example. But sometimes I've been even told, like, when you start setting boundaries, right? We talked about energetic boundaries that you've set. But if you start setting boundaries where you didn't before, or if you're that girl Friday, that's okay with everything. Cause I'm just cool all the time. And suddenly you're not cool with something. People are going to be like, what are you doing? Like, this is not the role you're supposed to play. So it can be hard, I think, to break out of those patterns and it takes time. And what you said about your sister, I think is um, really interesting that she's able to, in the moment, even just go, I've done it. And maybe she falls back into it, but she, she's like the fact that she's even calling herself out is really cool. Mm-hmm, the awareness. Yeah. The awareness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the healing is, is magnificent in our family. And, and when I go back to England, which I try to go back for a month every year, the healing and growth that happens in just that short span of time for all of us is parabolic. Do you like that word? I love that word. Yeah. Parabolic. Like, whoa. Yeah. I have to Google out. that. Yeah. I hope I used it correctly. I'm going to Google, Google it, it right you, now. You just keep talking. I'm going to Google it because. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that exciting work, it's actually incredibly laborious work. You know, because oh, there's another one. <laughs> there we go. Laborious means, which means to labor at. Parabolic. Of or like a parabola or part of one. What the hell is a parabola? I know. it's. I hate it when they make you Google yet another word. Parabola, a symmetrical open plane curve. <laughs> you, know no, you can't laugh while you say it. What did it say? No, it's just a symmetrical. Okay, hold on. Yeah, parabolic. I'm doing it like a parabolic rise. I'm thinking of oh, a like rocket. Oh, like a curve. Like a rocket going up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like a Okay, a parabolic mirror behind a spotlight projects a parallel beam. Okay. You're just a beam of, it's a yeah. beam of it's, progress. Yes, like it's just. It's laborious. It's like, it's laborious because it takes effort to hold onto oneself and not to flip into reactions. And, um, you know, like my sister will just, mm. she'll just say something that just hits a button in me that makes me want to defend. Yes. And justify and take my space and go, no, you don't understand, blah, blah. And I have to hold on and not say those things and not play that part that yeah. I'm being called forward into that part that we've played since childhood or 
what have you. So that's the laborious part of the work. But there is also this arc, this story arc that happens during the month where at points we get these intimate emotional and authentic conversations that rise out of the challenges and headbutting that happens during that time, which then leads us to understand one another better and to get the real depth of of what was really being communicated. Because I think fear does govern so much in relationships with close family. The fear that we don't we're not being seen properly or or heard properly, and and that's that goes both ways. That my sister just thinks that I can't see or hear her properly, and vice versa. I think she can't see and hear me properly, but ultimately, underneath it, she's my best friend in the whole world. She's been my protector and my guardian and my cheerleader since I was born. So you know what? She's a she's a soul sister. She's a soul sister and. Uh, and a blister sister. <laughs> yeah. But actually, I'm just going to, I'm going to issue another challenge as I do, which is I've realized we play roles in every relationship. And so the, the challenge is smash the role. What if there was no role? What if you could be free? Like, cause I see this in relationships that I'm in. It's like, you kind of get in there and you know, you play a role, which even in our relationship, uh, through doing comedy together, my role has been kind of like bratty defiant. Like I'm not going to do, you know, uh, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. But if I was to challenge that role, it would be, it would mean to be more vulnerable. Mm. That's what it means. The view to say, I do care. I do Absolutely, care. Absolutely. I do care. care. And that's why I'm showing up to the HRP course. Cause I do care and I want to go deeper, but it's, it's a challenge to get there sometimes, depending on who you are. You don't have to be in recovery to do this. I'm talking to everyone out there, like be, be, even becoming aware of what role do I play in this marriage? What role do I play in this best friendship? What role do I play at work? How am I showing up? Is it true? Like, is that truly who I am or am I just playing a role? Have I been sort of like, typecast, you know, into this role, trying to fit in. Yeah. And, and is there room for me to grow in this role? Maybe I don't want to be the Macaulay Culkin of typecast roles. Like I want to break out. Well, can you tell the listeners here what sort of maybe a tool or a process that they might use to first of all, identify and have awareness around those roles? And then maybe what do you mean? How would you break free, change the playbook? Yeah, I think uh, like I can only share my experience has been first to become aware of it, like just watch yourself. And I did this for a painfully, like a painfully long time in my marriage where I just watched myself. And that's being being stuck in awareness is can be hard because the awareness was, why am I acting like this? I don't want to act like this but I just stayed stuck in that area. Um, and so then I actually did a lot of work around it, but you could do journaling. Uh, one of a, a good technique is to speak it out to a trusted friend and just say like, I've noticed I'm doing this, but I don't actually want to do that. Like there's something, there's something patterned in me. It's like robotic that I can't stop it from happening. So it's first awareness, journaling, sharing with a trusted loved one. And then it's, then you can have fun with it because that now you're playing, 
Once you get to that point where it's like, oh, what, write out what, how you want to behave. Like, what is the opposite of that? Right? Like, what if I just came home and I, you know, I, I I can't think of an example right now, but, oh, I know. So getting stuck in victim, like my husband's so busy all the time. He doesn't have any time for me. Well, what if the reverse of that is I just said, Hey, do you want to dance to this song with me? And I did this last week and I was like, can we see if we can dance this song? And we did. And we had the best night. I won't go into details, but uh, hello. <laughs> but the point is like, there's a story, right? That you can run through. And what if that story is not true? Like, what if you what tried? It really is. Exactly. What if you tried? Like, I want to be the spark. I want to be the joy. Like, hey, dance to this song with me. Suddenly it's like, whoa, this is, this is where it's at. This is the magic. So that's just one small example. Another one is like how I would sit there and not help with the dishes. Cause I don't do dishes. I entertain. It's like, well, what if I did do dishes? And what if I entertained while I was doing dishes? What like, if you didn't? What if you just got up and did the dishes and you let everybody entertain themselves while you, but while you did something I've, yeah, I yeah. like, I, I can, you can just see in your head. Wow. What would happen if I mm-hmm. stepped outside of this kind of conditioned way of being, which is so much about how, uh, w- why and how I step out and do what I do in the world in terms of my creativity and stuff is because I constantly want to break through these kind of boxes that we just automatically get into and then just stay in. And I and I sort of think, well, I'm not sure if what we're doing on mass is particularly helpful for a each other and the planet so why not break these norms these conventions these roles why not step out and 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 do something a little wild and crazy yeah. well the danger is is that people will want to walk away from you but if we just flip back to the beginning of this conversation when you are your own best friend and your own fan there's nobody to abandon you anymore because you will not be alone that's right and you know, even take something as simple as a story you've told yourself, like, I'm not good at math. What if, what if I am good at math? Wait, maybe I am good at math. Like, seriously, I, I did this recently and it, it works. Like it's, it's a mindset change. Like I am good at math. Everyone's good at math. Math is the language of the universe. Like well, just, okay. Not All right. Good okay. At math, but. but I mean, maybe I'm not a, like a engineer good at math, but my point is like flip the script on yourself, play around with, have fun with it you can play with this stuff and see where it takes you. And it's going to be an experiment. And that's the challenge that you have been issued by Karina in the second episode of our second season. Um, This time we're doing the Hilarapy Recovery Project. And so... Shall we bring out Giand? Shall we bring out Giand? And you will absolutely love this man. He is a dear, dear friend of mine. I first met him three years ago when I was hosting the quiet stage at the recovery festival. Can I just like set the scene? (laughs) There's this enormous street festival. There's 20,000 people there. And then there's like, I don't know, some huge uh, celebrity playing on the main stage at the other end of the road. And then I'm on this equally big stage, but I've just got about three kind of fairly strange looking people like dancing at the front of the stage. And I'm just hosting to an empty street. But Giand was there as well, just standing there watching me and loving my work, which I just loved. And then I went to Mexico where I performed a set at a big 
recovery convention. And he was there in the audience and we ended up hanging out for the week in Mexico. And I got to know the guy and he is, he has got to have one of the biggest lights inside him. Not that it's a competition, but he has a huge role on this planet to heal and to guide and to lead. And I'm so excited for the work he's doing with the Hilarity Recovery Project. Will you please put your hands together and welcome to the stage, Giant! Damn, I love DMX. Holy smokes. Rest in peace. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you, everyone. Give another round of applause to everyone that came up before me. Yeah, a lot of talk about traffic in Surrey and White Rock. And uh, it reminded me of a story. Pretty much I was driving down one day and I caught this guy off rushing to a meeting. And then all of a sudden the guy pulled up at the next light. He said, go back to Surrey. And I'm like, I'm actually from Coquitlam. (laughs) But... I ended up, I'm like, you know what, I'll take his advice, whatever. I end up driving around Wally for three days after that. <laughs> Took me a couple years to come back from that relapse. <laughs> Anyways, I'm super grateful to be here. Super, super grateful to have like this blessing and this honor to just be alive and breathing, right? And be with such a cool crew, feels like family. Um, yeah, like my story, a big part of it, I guess like I wasn't born in this country, I was born overseas and I came, I'm the oldest of four, right? And then growing up, like I don't know if you've ever sat next to a kid in class and you just like, you can smell his mom's cooking off him, right? That's, that's pretty much what I grew up with, right? My mom, like bless her soul, I love her so much. But like growing up, we lived in this small little place and I was like, you know, she, she loved cooking with spices. Spices, like anything that you could think of that would just have a strong smell. <laughs> and so basically I'd go and my shirt would smell like curry, my pants would smell like curry, my bag, and then also my soul too. <laughs> so, I, yeah, it smelled like an Indian restaurant everywhere I went, right? Like, no wonder the guy told me to go back to Surrey. <laughs> like, like, go back there! I'm like, fuck, I hate that bridge. <laughs> oh, um, so, you know, imagine me as a kid, you know, like six, seven years old, rolling up, and like, I grew up, I ended up in like, you know, commercial Broadway in East Vancouver when we first came to Canada, and then we kind of moved out east towards Coquitlam and the Tri-Cities, which was cool, but I was the only brown kid. So, you know, I'd sit in class and I'd have a couple different like white friends and stuff like that, and they used to call me uh, Binder. That was my nickname, because I'd sit down like, oh shit, there you go, here's Curry Boy, right? So I'm like, no one else smelled like curry except me, right? So yeah, uh, that's where kind of like that name started, and I just rolled with it, right? Because I was chasing acceptance, right? Validation and just trying to fit in. But kids can get cruel real quick, especially when if English is like your third or fourth language and you're trying to roll in. But uh, everything changed. Everything changed when 9-11 happened. 
right? When, when that whole thing happened, we started getting treated even more differently, right? Like having a Muslim background, Pakistani, Irani, and at the same time, smelling like curry. <laughs> like, yo, I didn't smell like mashed potatoes, I'll tell you that much, holy fuck. I did wish though, like, like I moved away when I was like uh, in my late teens trying to get clean and sober and basically that's the first thing I missed was my mom's cooking, right? I'm like, oh god damn, I'm sick and tired of these fucking meatloafs and shit. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you have any salt and pepper and hot sauce? Like, god damn. You know, like it's, you only get grateful when you lose it, right? And then you start to appreciate it. But yeah, like it's, it's, it's a cool gift. But yeah, anyways, like basically when 9-11 happened, you know, we started getting stopped more at the border, especially at the airports and all that kind of stuff. So like we literally were actually that, so blessed too because uh, COVID, COVID finally started somewhere else, right? We had this pandemic. <laughs> And we want to like, I want to thank the Chinese. I want to thank the Asians. Woo! Thank you. Oh, thank God. Like, we dodged a bullet. I don't care. I'll wear a mask. Just don't stop me for three hours at CBSA, right? Like, is that milk? <laughs> like, you know, like, I just... Yeah, we've been stopped quite a bit, but uh, <laughs> it's funny, like, I got stopped as a kid and a teenager, but then when I was older and I was actually taking narcotics across the border with me, I never got stopped. <laughs> I was like, whoo! <laughs> hey, like, thank God I'm sitting up here with no criminal record, but uh, that's a miracle in itself. Um, yeah, so like, you know, as time goes on, Binder started, you know, getting active with sports and everything and all that kind of shit, right, to fit in some more. And then uh, I found this beautiful thing. It was, it was this green, fluffy stuff that you can bust up and roll and smoke or do whatever you want. Nowadays, you can do anything with it, right? You can drop it in your mouth anywhere. Drop it in your asshole for all I care, right? People, people are doing everything. But anyways, when... When Binder found his green stuff, holy shit, now <laughs> I'd roll the glass, I'd smell like curry, smell like weed, and a huge ball of axe. Like just. <laughs> now they'll never know I smoked weed before at block five. <laughs> Holy socks, little did I know. Oh my god. Woo. If I can go back in time, I'd make a, a different axe, axe flavor or like style, right? Just uh, make an actual curry one. I'll make one <laughs> to cover up the weed even more, like for my white friends, right? I'm like, yo, you guys are missing out, bro. Get some of the curry axe. <laughs> Curry and naan and some samosas. Fucking dip that shit and eat it. <laughs> Spray your mouth like. <laughs> oh god. Good times. So Binder evolved, right? Like Binder evolved, and then from the green stuff over to this beautiful, fluffy white stuff, right? That didn't have a smell. I didn't. I didn't need to steal axe 
from the local London drugs anymore, right? Like, just can go in and it's basically, you know, <laughs> and I didn't have to use Visine anymore, right? It was just like my eyes were like wide open all the time. Like, I'd be walking into class, you know, just sitting in, I'm like, <laughs> hey, bro. And then the teacher would be like, Jet! It's a test! Shut up! <laughs> and I'd be like, Sorry. <laughs> you know what they say, god damn it. You study high and get high scores, and that's, I truly believed that for many years. And, uh, you know, I thought I could get away, right? But uh, life quickly took a huge turn through the whole process. And after high school, kind of just like was going back down, right? Like, you know, I see the look on my mom's face. She's like, holy, you came to this country. The oldest of my four children has like gone to shit, right? And the funny thing is, like, we think we can hide so much from our parents, right? But little do we know, holy smokes, like they see it all. Like they see it all, right? Like give it up to the parents in the room. Like lots, lots of love for your patience, right? And perseverance and not giving up on us. <laughs> or the kids who have to deal with their parents that are going through it, right? Like it can go back and forth. But anyway, so basically, you know, it runs in my family, addiction. It does. My grandpa, like back, back in Iran, southern Iran, this place called Baluchistan is where I'm from, right? And then he smoked opium till the day he died. So addiction is rampant right through. And opium, it's like here you're smoking weed at the park there, they're smoking opium and drinking tea, right? That's how it works. <laughs> the opium dens and this and that, but it, like my grandpa's house was the opium den, right? Like, <laughs> And, and yeah, like in, in my teenagehood, one of my, uh, I guess, visits back home, that was our family vacation, was to go back there, right? No, there was no Mexico or anything. It was like, we're going back to see the grandparents, right? And I'd be like, okay, let's go watch Grandpa smoke opium. <laughs> like, yay! <laughs> and all of his friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I ended up trying it too. I was like, well, this is kind of cool, right? And then it flipped that opiate switch, the opioid receptors, right? And like, it was already there genetically. So my life took a huge turn, but you know, in comparison, these guys, holy smokes, like my grandpa, like these guys would move weight from like, it was, we were pretty much in that whole, like the Silk Road goes up there with like between China and Europe, right? And then the drug trade route is right through our backyard from Afghanistan to the ports. <laughs> All the drugs went through it. So you're welcome, Canada. Yeah, y'all owe me. <laughs> yeah, so you know, like, I could just imagine, like, just like my grandpa and them, like, you know, riding on these prestigious steeds, right? Just galloping down the mountainside, 
with opium on both sides and just going towards the ocean, right? Saying hi to everyone in such a majestic way. And then you fast forward to his grandson, like when I'm 18, just ripping around, selling drugs on the street, like, bro, I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> and two hours later, I'm like, I'm here, where are you? <laughs> All stressed out, and then you go back to my grandpa, he's just, you know, galloping, just sprinkling opium like he's a savior, right? Like, throwing money and paying off the guards and the politicians and the military, right? Just, and then there's me, I'm like, who wants more? Like 3 a.m. ripping through Wally and Coquitlam and downtown, like, oh man, like my, my illustrious drug trade career. It's mostly me using all of it. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, there was no noble steed in my story. <laughs> I had a little tercel I called a hedgehog. I remember... <laughs> Later on, there was some nice cards, but at the beginning, holy shit. There's a hole in the muffler, and I'm thinking I'm being inconspicuous, right? 3 a.m., there's no other cars. I'm like... Is that a cop? <laughs> like... I'm like, get the fuck out of my car! <laughs> nah, man, I can go on for, for yeah. So I'm blessed, I'm blessed and grateful just to be standing here. Anyways, long story short, Binder ended up having, uh, AKA JR, AKA GN. You know, I came by different names because I was always trying to fit in, but my real name is GN, right? So that's a cool part. And the main reason why I did this hilarity stuff especially the HRP program was, because you know, the last time I had a relapse, I was coming too, right? Getting narcan by firefighters, first responders, right? Ambulance, and I'm just grateful to be alive, right? And that's the main reason, because there's another pandemic out there, right? Screw the terrorism and, and all the other COVID stuff. We got people dying, right, from overdose. We got friends and family that aren't making it back, right? So it's, it's really, really dear and near to my heart that all of you guys came today, right? Just to watch and be part of this. And Like, I'm ever, ever, ever grateful that whoever's in the treatment centers, please stay, right? Keep your seats in there. Please do the work and heal, hopefully, right? And connect. And connect with the right people. Because that's what I had to do, right? So, you know, now, if I'm driving, right? Driving down, I see this guy shaking on the corner, right? Got change in his pocket, like, just withdrawal and sitting in the rain and gonna drive up to him right roll down my window just like slow down be like hey bro I've been there done that and <laughs> <laughs> what a dear oh my god so good oh loved it I love his joy it just like blasts out of his heart he's so expressive well yeah. done well yeah, done, my well friend. done. And I loved, I have to, I just have to say, because it has to be said, 
I loved how he wrapped it up at the end with it. I actually wrote it down. It's dear and near to my heart. Like, I don't know why, but that just melted my heart that he had that. Well, probably because it goes back to me pretending I don't care if people are there or not, or if they laugh or not. Right. But him saying like, it's dear and near to my heart that you all came out and listened to this. Like, how special is that? I loved that. You know, one thing that Gian is really good at, and you can you can kind of see it right through his set, is cheerleading. Yeah. He is a cheerleader. He sees people, he lifts them up, he shows a lot of gratitude, expresses a lot of gratitude, and it's an incredibly attractive quality in recovery is to to witness somebody in their joy, in their appreciation of where they are and who they are, which brings me to this piece about his name, his nickname, which mm. was derogatory, right? At the time, the Binder nickname. And then he t- he he touched on it, but he changed his name to JR because he wanted a, a more white sounding name. And now he calls himself his real name, Giand. And I just think that's just, just a, a mark of growth and recovery, you know, a testament to recovery. Well, it's really, I don't know if personification is the right word, but it is the person, I'm going to use it anyways, personification of the journey he's had of coming through to the other side and owning his identity. This, this is who I am. Like your name is such a powerful thing. And I know some people don't feel attached to their name and they end up changing it for whatever reason. But in his story, it is that beautifully woven tale of like feeling like he doesn't fit in. Um, and kind of just going with it. Yeah, sure. I'm Binder because now I can kind of fit in. I have an identity with these people, but it's not his true identity. And then, like you said, going into JR to be kind of whitewash the name to fit in. Right. And I'm so against that. I'm so against that. I mean, unless you're, you're doing it for your own reasons. Right. But I have met so many people over the years who, change their name to sound more white and acceptable because of the prejudice that they've experienced. And I just loved his set, how he, he really truly wove this story of being different, not fitting in, um, immigrating to Canada, um, working on validation and acceptance and hiding like that part of hiding from his parents who he clearly loves. Like, like you said, he cheers them out. I, I, that touched my heart too. Like just to say, you know, uh, kudos to all the parents and kudos to all the kids out there who have parents in addiction. Like it's hard to watch, especially, especially when people in addiction think they're hiding or, you know, when you think you're sneaking around and like, it, you're not. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the people that love us most know that we're just totally off piste, right? We, you can just see it all over somebody if they're using yeah, in an addictive, um, you know, uncontrolled way. But yeah. it's not an easy subject to broach with somebody you can't because it's a whole intervention piece and we won't get into that now. But this, yeah, this the subject matter that he brought up is, I think, all of our stories in one form or another that I want to be a part of, I want to fit in by whatever means necessary. And I know him, he is a very charismatic, popular person, but it's it's in looking back at the past and seeing how we had to sacrifice parts of who we are 
or at least a belief that we had to sacrifice parts of who we are to be more acceptable, to be more familiar. I I think that those feelings of not fitting in, it's almost hard-coded into our DNA as something we need to overcome. I, I, there's hardly anyone I've ever spoken to who hasn't who hasn't felt some version of that. Maybe they didn't immigrate to Canada. Maybe they uh, don't have any visible differences from the majority, but they still feel like they don't fit in, don't belong, aren't good enough. Like there's something I believe that we we come here to overcome. That's the human experience. Right? That is the human experience. Hey, strap in, guys, because this is the roller coaster we're all going on and we're in it together. Yeah. So um, imagine like being with someone or a group of people that helps you to remember who you truly are. Because mm. the truth is like you belong because you're here. Yeah. You fit in because you're here. You're good enough because you're here. You're, uh, you are amazing because you're here. That's it. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Is exist. Exactly. And I, you know, I'm just getting this powerful sense of gratitude and awe for my own experience of coming back to myself and kind of loving myself. And and I've I've touched on this topic before, at least this idea or metaphor that you can only receive the love that you are able to accept. And so it doesn't matter how much you pour love on somebody, if their cups are upturned or they haven't, you know, that they're not open to receiving it, you cannot make them. You can lead a horse to water and all that jazz. Yeah, that's right. I have learned in the last few years to turn my cups up towards the heaven and allow love to come in. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. And it Bottoms doesn't mean up. I don't like turn the cups upside down. I'm getting that image of, da, 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 you know, that cup song. <laughs> yeah. What's that cup song yeah, from yeah. that film? Is, it a, is there a cup song? Yeah. No, that's a clown no. song. No, it's from like, um, oh, what's that film? Like Pitch Perfect or something. Oh, that one. Yeah, they've got yeah. the three cups and the ball underneath and they're doing that. Yeah. Oh, you well, know hope, the cop song. Yes. Doesn't mean that I don't do that sometimes and turn them back up where it's like somebody's pouring love on me, but there's a part of me, an old conditioned part of me that goes, no, that's not real. Or I'm not allowed to acknowledge that, you know, for whatever, you know, patterns arise in us of, of whatever. Anyway, the point being is my cups are open to receive these days and more and more awareness I bring to the task of consciously opening myself up to the love and friendship that exists all around me and always has. But we only get what we look for. We only get what we can accept. And that's the kind of law of attraction or the law of life or the law of mind. If I can't see it, then I won't be able to acknowledge it. But if I consciously can acknowledge that these people who are around me who who s s continue to stick with me on my journey despite whatever mistakes I make are the people who do love me and I can accept that love today and I just you know from his set I feel and know that he's in that place of cups upturned and I just want to mention which he didn't mention in this set he's actually a um, trainee psychiatric nurse no way. Yeah. He's studying at the moment. So he'll, you know, he's midway through his um, 
course and he's doing that because he wants to continue to create places where people can come. I just joke with him. I always go, oh yeah, you're learning how to give people drugs, are you? You know, and he's like, he's like, I don't need to learn how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you hear my set? (laughs) Just legally now. (laughs) Yeah. No, I laugh about it because I I, I make jokes about it, which are just jokes. I'm I'm only jesting because I do have firsthand experience of being in a psychiatric ward for a couple of months and having you know, just, you know, for a mad person's view of what the psychiatric nurses do on a day-to-day basis. And as far as I was concerned, they just drank tea behind Perspex glass and just, you know, every now and again came out to force me to take medication. <laughs> and I just thought, what do you actually do? But keeping their little yeah, eyes on I won't the tell inmates. You, oh yeah, I won't tell you his story, but but the um his uh dreams and plans for the future and the reason why he's doing that becoming you know qualified psychiatric nurse is so that he can help in a more spiritual way but at God, least i know do you know i love recovered drug addicts i do i mean i'm married to one i freaking love it they know shit that i couldn't possibly know because of their days out there dealing wheeling whatever the hell they're doing criminal activities yeah. it's like they know so much more than i know they're like oh drug deal going down oh no like there's just a world Wait, of like, beauty that they can also bring because they've had that experience. So they, I don't know, there's something. But it's like that film Limitless, isn't it? Yes. And, oh, and I like, love that movie. You know, and in, in this movie, this this guy is taking this drug that, that makes him just like so superhuman in his abilities to just do shit. Well, he accesses like all of his brain instead yeah, of 10%. That's right. So I think like the difference is with people who have used like very kind of high functioning drugs, like, you know, not so much. I mean, this isn't necessarily his experience, but you know, like the high, like the cocaine and all of that stuff that, that makes people quite kind of pinpointy focused, but not necessarily focused once it gets off. (laughs) Once you get into paranoia, once you get into paranoia, (laughs) then it gets a bit off. Then you're really focused. But you think... That you're really like... Yeah, dialed you know, in. Yeah, dialed yeah, in like, and tapped in and, yeah. and you can, you know, hoover up really fast and <laughs> <laughs> organize a group of people fairly quickly. But, um, you know, the drunk sitting on the sofa, sort of like, you know... I wow. learned no skills. <laughs> yeah, like absolutely just fucking liability, right? <laughs> well, there's the upper crowd and there's the downer crowd. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, there's the uppers yeah. and the downers. And yeah. The, yeah. But it is really cool. Like I love hearing stories. I always kind of think that I must have been like, a, uh, I was very lucky, like very lucky to not, you know, be put in jail or have my kids taken away or anything like that. Like strategically, I say I played my cards right because I'm married to alcoholics, addicts, right? So it's not like anyone was going to tell on me. But uh, but like it's a high bottom drunk kind of like I didn't lose anything. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I, I was hospitalized many times. But my point is like I'm I'm okay, but I love hearing from people who, you know, were that people on the street and like that, those are miracles where you hear like that skid row kind of addict who is now going and helping people stay sober, get sober, get clean, whatever it is. It's just such a, a beautiful story. And again, it's not, it's not a bad, it's not a comparison. Like no. we're all here to shine a light on recovery, but I just, I really love talking to pe- folks who have had, um, those like, 
you know, how are you even here? How are you such a miracle? Mm. Like, how have you come from the depths of hell? Because we've all lived in a living hell in active addiction. Mm -hmm. But those depths of hell where it's like people give up on you. Right. Oh, yeah. You you have no one anymore. Your family's not talking to you. You don't have a home. You're living on the streets. And you've given up on yourself more to the point. Yes. And like, I think just get, to get the chills that I'm getting is to think like they're hopeless. But somehow these people and we all know them. We, we all do. know them. We've got friends. Right? We've got friends who have come from that. From a hopeless state of mind and body. Yes. And people uh, have just thought, no, they're a complete right. Toss away. Yeah. Toss but, away. But there they are, 10, 15, 20 years clean and sober, just pillars in the community. Giants. Uh, but I, I do want to touch on something Gian said, which was if you're out there, like if you're in active addiction, please like do the work connect. Like this is a personal journey. I had many people tell me, maybe you should stop drinking. Like you're, and I just be like, maybe we shouldn't be married anymore. Like, you know, you can't have someone tell you that mm. if you're not ready. It's like when the student's ready, the teacher appears, that kind of thing. Like if it's, it's something within you, it's well, a stopping drinking is the first step. It's the healing and the willing to grow the willingness to grow, to learn, grow, and evolve beyond where you've ever been before. Yeah. And it's the, st it's the staying stopped, right? It's the staying it's the stopped. Staying it's stopped. like, oh yeah, I can stop whenever I want, but can you stay stopped? Yeah. And do you want to? Yeah. And, you know? and to you, the listener out there, whether you identify with the addict, uh, you know, the alcohol and drugs aspect, or whether you can like just say what, what parts what addictions do I run to, to lose myself, to escape myself? Where do I go? Is it shopping? Is it love? Is it, you know, is it uh, cleaning? I don't know. Do people do that? Maybe, maybe. Sure, it could maybe. be anything, right? But the point is, where do you, that's the challenge for this episode. I thought I had a challenge already. Oh, you did? Did, did I? You, did you do it in the first Maybe time? I did. Challenge is what? Go ahead, Lizzie. Issue the challenge. Well, uh, I've never issued a challenge. I know. Before. I'm excited. Well, my challenge is to identify where you are, even in, if you're Escaping. in recovery, where do you go to escape yourself? Mm -hmm. And my challenge is to make and set an intention to heal and grow and go beyond where you've ever gone before in your own experience of self. Mm, better drop a mic and leave yeah right now, drop a mic like where do you go to escape it could be food yeah oh gosh well yeah. we know that all too well and it's so common because we, we we are living with hyper like toxic food groups that are sold to us as like <laughs> hey have some you know sugar and have some fried food and it'll all be all right and it's not all right yes. these are massive health problems and i'm not just talking about physically like physical like appearance i'm talking about long-term health effects of eating these toxins and consuming them and kind of numbing out on them. That's, that's the part that I'm stepping out of now. And as I, I hide my, as, as Karina arrived with a, with a tray of pecan tarts, which I had to say, I can't eat those at the moment. So I'm trying to get ripped. I'm trying to get ripped for, um, America, America. Yeah. I mean, it's more that I want, of course, I want to be like pop, 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 pop as I walk across the room, you know, with, with my chiseled, my chiseled biceps looking like an Adonis, not literally, I don't want to be like a freaking muscle person, but 
My point is I want to be disciplined. I want to travel across America with discipline, seeking out exercise and seeking out nourishing foods that keep me alive and well, because I know my mental health. It goes down like a freaking ship, the Titanic specifically. Yeah. (laughs) It goes down when I eat bad foods, right? It goes down and quick. And then I just get in a cycle and I can, and I know America's got some like, you know, potholes when it comes to food, right? And if I'm on the road, I'm not going to have that much organization, but I won't go on about that now. I just want to say thank you, Gian. Um, You are an amazing light for us in recovery. And I am so honored to know you and to call you a friend. So bless bless you all out there in Listenland. Thank you for joining us for this journey. We appreciate you so much. Please leave a reference. Is that what you call it? A reference? A review? A review. That's the one. (laughs) It really helps um, with getting this out there and um, people listening to it because we hope that this brings some energy and get up and go to your routine healing journey. Your life. Share the love. Routine. Share the love. Peace, peace, peace. Bye. Dear listeners, we are a two-woman shop here, and this is a little labor of love. So anything you can do to show us some love, our love language is subscribing, sharing on social media, and coming to one of our many shows. And if you're feeling really adventurous, take a course. Don't be afraid of a good time. We love you, we love you, we love you. We're out. We're out.